Welcome to the Bluff Finance Podcast. My name is Eric Baskin, and today I am with Aaron Ingram, who is a Naval Academy grad. He went to the wrong academy. Naval, former Naval pilot for 12 years, I think, 10 years, and now Director of Operations for Pre-Veterans. So welcome to the show, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. I really appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, just like I appreciated the opportunity to go to the Air Force Academy and turn it down, I'm just glad that we could get together here and, and link up and talk finance, talk wealth building, and uh, kind of get into it. But yeah, I am a, I'm a Navy guy, so I'll, I'll give you that one. Well, I have to cut you some slack there, I, I suppose. I can't, I can't brag and say I turned down the other two service academies. They didn't have hockey teams, so I, I only had one option. There you go. Uh, I did so go talk- on a recruiting trip to Air Force and, and did not end up applying, so it's legit. Yeah. Yeah. What was what? What made you pick? What made you pick Navy over Air Force? You know, I don't want to be offensive or anything, but uh, no. At the end of the day, it was just the the team dynamic that I was looking for a really tight knit team with really like kind of a, a brotherhood where they were all just very close and kind of did life together and all that stuff. And at Navy, I felt that a lot more at the time than I did at Air Force, which I'm sure it waxes and wanes and changes those places over time, but. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't, I can't argue with that. I won't, we, we don't need to get into an argument. We, we could have probably a whole nother podcast on, on service yeah. academies. That's actually a great idea. Yeah. We'll, we should get an arm, army grad on here. I've got a few buddies that went there, so we could have a three-way yeah. argument. <laughs> we could do it now, but I don't know that we would settle anything. But No, uh, I don't think so. So tell the people a little bit about, I guess, a little bit about yourself. Just quick, quick background yeah, that, sure. I, that I didn't cover. So right now, We'll we'll start with where I am now, and then I'll kind of backtrack. Married, dad, four kids. My oldest is six, so they're all pretty close in age, which that can be a lot. And that'll go into some of the decision-making around my wealth building that we'll probably get into. But I grew up kind of backtracking from where I am now. I'm in Texas currently. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State, youngest of three boys. Grew up there, had a great, great childhood there. And then, like you said, went off to the Naval Academy after graduating high school and then kind of started my career in the pilot world, went through flight school and then started flying an aircraft called the P-8 Poseidon, which is a Boeing 737, essentially. And so I really enjoyed that. It was a great time. But during my tour at my first squadron, I ended up getting married and we had our first kid. And we kind of outgrew our first house and moved and we just went through a lot and, you know, obviously proceeded to keep having kids and, and then continued on to our next squadron and moved to Okinawa where I did my next tour. But through my deployments, I missed the birth of two of my kids. So that was impactful to me and how I thought through things. And then our tour in Okinawa, we got to spend a lot of time as a family. So that kind of opened my my world up a little bit to see things a little bit differently and start thinking about transition. And that's when things really changed for me. I decided to get out and kind of wrap my head around that. Decided I wasn't going to continue flying, which would have been the economical and probably Mm -hmm. smart thing to do from a straight money standpoint. Um, But I think this gets to that not all decisions are driven solely by money. Even your money decisions can be driven by other factors. So I think that's important. 
And uh, yeah, so I intentionally decided to not continue flying to go into the business world, which I did. And I had a background with real estate investing in rental properties. So my last five years in the Navy, I ended up purchasing a number of buy and hold rental properties, renting them out and kind of learning the whole process, building systems around managing those and really making it a business to where I didn't need to be involved with it on a day-to-day, but that I could manage it and continue to grow it. So that's where I'm at now that I've kind of built that up. I went after my transition, worked in the private industry for a while, and now I'm at a small startup called Pre-Veteran, where we work with transitioning military veterans and really we're helping them navigate the difficulties that come with transition. And we're trying to do it earlier in the process. So I'm the director of operations at Pre-Veteran and I'm helping us get to the next stage with the company people because are really awesome. And we've had some great outcomes. We just had a guy go from a Marine helicopter pilot to a, a engineer in oil and gas. So there's a lot of career pivoting going on and I really like what we're doing as an organization. So that's what I'm doing now. And I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Back back to your transition. Like when you're doing the calculus, because a lot of people inevitably are going to have to come to that decision point at whether it's, you know, for service academy graduates, certainly it's five years. I just hit my five years. A lot of my friends just hit their five or it's that eight year mark when we have the full GI bill or maybe the 12 year mark when that pilot training commitment is over. I guess like what, what things were you weighing back then when you made that decision and kind of how do you see certainly qualitative or quantitative, you said economics, right? The, the money, the pension of the healthcare, all, you know, all the things that we know about, but then also probably more importantly, especially for you with four kids, you know, what are the qualitative considerations? I think when you're approaching that transition. Yeah, I mean, for me, there was just so much that went into it. Obviously, my big driver, and like I said before, missing the birth of my first two kids, it just started really hitting me that I was missing so much stuff with my family. And I was like, the time is just going to keep going like this. And then I looked ahead at my career. And for the Navy pilot side, my next career would have been on an aircraft carrier in a non-flying job. And that would have got me through 04 the next rank. And then that would have continued my career on the path. Um, So looking ahead at that and seeing people that were doing that, I kind of was just turned away, honestly, that I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my future. And then that's when the uncertainty kind of sets in though. It's like, okay, if I'm not going to pursue that though, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to provide for my family of six. You know, you got to think about healthcare. You got to think about all these things that are just given to you in the military that you kind of depart when you leave. And so I was a little over a year out and starting to deeply think about those things. And luckily we had been in that position of having some assets that cash flowed and a little bit of a side business since we had been doing that as a hustle on the side. But that wasn't by accident. I During all my deployments, I saved all that money and each one, each deployment resulted in another rental property that I bought. Wow. And, you know, I I continued doing that. And once I knew how to do it, it only got better because I knew how the systems operated and I knew what worked and what didn't. And you just learn as you go. So 
for me, it was really starting that first deal, getting one of them and taking back some lessons learned and then growing it from there. But I think a lot of people get stuck in studying a topic and then not taking action. I know a ton of people that deeply studied having rental properties and, and doing all that stuff, but then they never took action on getting one. It was just too scary for them. So for me, it was just doing the first deal. And then that got rid of so much of that uncertainty and fear that I was like, okay, I can do this. It's not that hard. And then I got to a point where I was in Japan doing my tour overseas and I was buying real estate, rehabbing it and renting it out from Japan. And those were properties in Alabama, which I had never been to that city in Alabama. So you got to think of like, how could you possibly do that? That sounds idiotic, but it, it was a very intentional process. And I promise you there were systems in place to kind of make it a fail-safe process. Were you, was, was that up at Maxwell by, by chance? The properties were, what, what city are they in? Just curious. No. So Huntsville, Alabama okay. is actually okay. one of the fastest, ci yeah, oh, yeah. fastest cities in Alabama. And, Redstone uh, Arsenal. Yeah. Right there. Yep. It's in a medium-sized market and it's growing fast. So properties are still relatively affordable, but now we're already kind of priced out of that Huntsville area immediately. Mm -hmm. And we're in, we're now investing in the secondary markets around it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. How do you, so you talked about buying that first property, kind of gave you the confidence, like how do you get over that imposter syndrome? I guess when it comes to real estate investing or gaining that confidence, gaining that knowledge, I mean, there's so much out there. There's so many resources on the internet. Like, how do you, what, you know, what was best for you to get you to that first property? And how can people maybe think about dipping a toe in, in that water? Cause I think a lot of folks buy a home with a VA loan. And I think that at least like maybe at their first duty station, maybe their second and they leave and they're not really sure, Hey, do I keep this thing and rent it out? Do I really, do I want to get into that or do I just sell it and, and not be a homeowner or not be a landlord? So how do you kind of rationalize that, I guess, in your, in your head through your process, what resources were, were most helpful to you? Yeah. So for me, I mean, I was an early adopter in listening to podcasts and, and just doing research. And we were in a situation where we had our first child and then my wife was pregnant again, and we just outgrew the house that we had been in and we were ready to move, but we were going from, you know, one spot in the city to another in the same city. So we were just trying to plus up, you know, our house. Looking at doing that, we hadn't been in our house that long and it was kind of going to be a break-even proposition to sell the house we we're currently in. So I was thinking of what are the other options here? Like, okay, if we're going to move and if I'm not going to sell my property, what does that look like? Can I do that? Is that even an option? And then I did some research and I found out that you can have more than one VA loan. And I thought, oh, I thought I could only have one. And it just wasn't true. So I talked to various lenders and I got the information I needed. And it turns out that I had to buy a property actually of equal or greater value in order to qualify for the second one. And I did that. And then, yeah, that, it was really that simple. I did, I think, zero down on that new property. We moved. And then we took pictures, we cleaned up our previous property. We had done some work on that one, fixing it up. And then we just advertised it at the time. You could just advertise on Zillow for rent. And that's all we did. And then it was kind of fortuitous timing, but the base admiral was 
in a transition period where her family needed a place to stay. And so she wanted a six month lease at the property and they paid all six months in cash up front. Nice. And so, yeah, that was my first tenant experience. And, you know, you get a check for like $15,000 and you're like, whoa, that was easy. And it's kind of scary too, though, because you have to be intentional with that money and make sure that, okay, I'm not spending this on anything. This is going into an escrow account for the property and I'm not just going to spend it on anything. So that was kind of my foray into investing or getting investment properties. And then I realized I don't need to live in the property first. I can just buy properties for investment purposes. And then I just really dove into it and started doing it. That's awesome. That. That's great. I think, and I think folks need to realize like that is a story that can end up really well for some people and not really well for others. So I don't know if you have any, any properties on you that some horror stories, maybe that went wrong with some properties. Cause I know I've talked to folks that do. So it's like, I, I, when I talk to folks about rental real estate and especially if they're, you know, PCSing or leaving somewhere and they own that home, Hey, do we want to be Landlords, I, I think there's quantitative, right? Like the interest rates and how much ownership do you have? How much equity do you have in the home? All, the, all those things. What are the rental? What's the rental market like? How much are you going to have to pay a property manager, right? All the boring stuff. But then also the qualitative aspects of, are you excited about real estate? Obviously, Aaron is. Aaron, you love real estate. But if you're just kind of like, eh, this real estate thing, I don't really know. I think it may be difficult to stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to have a driver for why you're doing it right. And that's kind of gets to, I think a lot of people, when they think about money and think about their money goals, they think about being wealthy or building wealth and having this long-term security where they have a very, you know, good basis where it's going to provide them an income for life, essentially. And that gives them have freedom. And, you know, you need to go through that plan intentionally and figure out what that looks like. If you met all of your money goals today, what would you do? Would you just retire and be sipping, you know, drinking beers on the beach? Or do you have an intentional plan and a purpose for wanting to be at a stage of financial independence or financial freedom? Is that just like a, a jumping off point then to do other things? Because that's how I saw it was that I didn't want to build wealth or become financially independent so that I could go do nothing. I wanted to to do what I was doing so that I could have the time freedom to spend more time with my family so that I could have the freedom to choose a different job that I wasn't necessarily chasing a job just for the paycheck, that I was doing something that I believed in and was passionate about, which luckily I was able to to make that happen and do that. So I think you got to ask yourself, if I were as wealthy as I want to be tomorrow, what would I do with that? And then start thinking about that now and, and designing your life in that way. Because if you're intentional, you'll get there. But what I don't want to do is retire. What I don't want to do is pursue wealth at the cost of my loved ones. And I don't want to a bunch of time away from my family like I did in the military and then tell myself I'm doing it for the cause of providing for my family when I find a lot of times that it's really you're pursuing something else and then you lose the relationship with your family because you're just never there. And so I, I was very intentional about thinking through that when I went through all of this. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That I mean, we we relate pretty closely on that because I, I I'm kind of seeing things the same way. You know, when I first graduated the academy in 2018, I kind of got to my my first duty station and and realized I wanted to start a business because all the same reasons you, you you know you say like I'm I want to have a family someday. I don't have one. I mean, I've got wife and and two dogs, but definitely want to have a family someday where you know I'm baseball coach or or whatever. I'm I'm very involved. I have time to spend time with the family. Don't necessarily have to, you know, go into a corporate job, if you will, for 40, 50 hours a week. So that was kind of, I realized that very early on in my Air Force career. And instead of real estate, I poured myself into my business, my financial planning business, and then obviously doing the TSP and all the all the stock investing. But I don't own any real estate other than my primary residence. So, you know, I think we're both going after very similar ends just with different different means, which is which is super interesting. And I think is a good point for those listening is is I think you can be super successful never investing in real estate and super successful successful investing in tons of rental properties. But you can be super successful just being in the Air Force and hitting that 20 years and getting the pension and the disability. There's just lots of ways to do it. Um, but I think having that end in mind is super important. And that's something I talk about with clients is having that I call it a financial statement of purpose. Like, why is money important to you? Like, what's it going to do? What's it going to give you? I can tell you for me, that's time with family. We love to travel. We like to eat out. We're big on food. I like to read a lot. So like, it sounds weird, but like money would give me financial freedom so I can sit on my back porch and read a book for like three hours. That's like my my perfect afternoon. That's probably what I'm going to do right after this. But, But having that financial purpose in mind, not like a picture of, I know exactly what I want in 30 years, but like, why, why are you pursuing what you're pursuing? And then what is the best way for you to get there that fits with your unique personality? And also on that note, I would, I would say, you know, defining what you want in life is good from the aspect too, that you're not just piling up maybe too much money. I talk about this sometimes is folks just piling away money into 401k, TSP, whatever it may be that they may really not need someday when you start doing the calculations. I think there's a balance right between living today versus saving for an uncertain tomorrow. Piling up money just for the sake of having $20 million when you're 80 years old is, is ultimately not the goal. It's, it's investing and spending money and saving money, whatever you're doing with it for a purpose to you know, live, live the life you want to live. So having that framework is, is super, super important, I think. Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. I think you got to continuously remind yourself why you're doing it too. That you need that constant reminder and you need to be on the same page as your spouse that, you know, if you have a family, you have a significant other, you guys need to be aligned with your goals and what you're doing and how you're getting there. And, you know, you go on money dates or you discuss it on a regular basis or you set some goals at the beginning of the year that you kind of track quarterly or semi-annual or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be complicated, but just having the conversations and being aligned with that, I think is super important. So I think once you have the framework though, hey, here's why we're doing it. We're aligned and and here's what we want to accomplish. How do you actually do that now? And to me, I look at three different things and I don't want to contradict anything you say, but I don't (laughs) think this will be contradictory. But basically, you have three tools when you're talking about building wealth, and that's to earn more, to spend less, 
And really those are the two big drivers and then investing, right, is the third one. So what do you do with the money that you're saving you invest in? So out of those three pillars comes wealth building and how that looks for everyone is going to be a little bit different. For me, I think real estate is an awesome tool just because it's very, very tax advantaged. I could own 10 paid off rental properties and pay zero federal tax. The reason for that is there's tax depreciation and a number of write-offs that come with rental real estate that just don't come with other assets. Like you don't get a write-off any capital gains on your stocks. You don't get a write-off your dividends on your stocks. That's just not something available. But it's also very passive to own a stock. So mm -hmm. you're not doing any work. Whereas with rental real estate, there are things that you have to put some work into. But you know, if you design it appropriately and you have good systems in place, it is very minimal, little to no work. So for me, I like real estate because it's very tax advantaged. When we talk about spending less, I like thinking about the biggest uh, drivers of your spending first, right? Tackle the biggest line items first. Just like if you have debt and you're trying to get rid of it, you want to tackle your highest interest debt first mathematically, and you want to start building that momentum. It's the same thing with your budget. So when you look at the average American budget, 50% of the money you make as an average American goes towards housing and transportation. It's typically 30% housing, 20% transportation. I think if you were to poll or ask anybody out there, they would look at their income and what they make. And, you know, most people in the military, most average Americans are going to say, yeah, that's, that's about right. Um, and so when you break that out, how do you tackle those big line items of housing and transportation? Well, to me, the way you do that is you buy a vehicle in cash that you can afford mm -hmm. and you don't finance as much as that's possible for you. And if you do finance, you don't do the whole amount or you find a mechanism that you can get out of that financing very quickly. The other thing is housing. And that's, I think, the biggest one. And again, being a big fan of real estate, I wish I would have known certain things that I know now that I didn't know before I had a family. So if I was a single guy, you got to use, and this would be my advice to anyone out there, is that use what superpower you uniquely have. That everyone has some kind of superpower. Yep. So if you're if you're not married and you don't have kids, guess what? That's a superpower because that means you can easily have roommates or you can easily buy a multifamily complex, live in one unit and rent the other units out. And guess what that does? That eliminates your housing costs. And you can do that with the VA loan. So a lot of people don't know this, but with the VA loan, you can buy any residential one to four unit property. So depending on where you're living, you can find a nice four unit property in a good part of town that as long as you qualify for a loan of that amount, you can purchase that property, rent out the other three units, live in one, and you're living for free and probably even making money on the deal. And then when you move out, and by the way, you can do that with zero money down. And then when you move out, you rent out that unit that you were living in, and now you're making a lot more money on the deal. You put $0 into it, presumably, if you did a zero down VA loan. And that can be a huge wealth builder for the long term, right? As you continue to let that appreciate and let the rent grow, it becomes a super powerful tool. And by the way, if you live in the property for two years, 
You can also sell it within 10 years if you're active duty. If you spend time in the military, as long as you live in a property two within the last two of the last 10 years. 15. It's actually 15. 15. I'm sorry. Good correction. 10 plus five. Yep. So typically, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Plus 10. So five years is the normal, right? That you have to have lived in the property two of the last five years for your your normal folks. Yep. Yep. If you're in the military, they add 10 years to that. So they say, hey, if you live in this property two years of the last 15, Mm -hmm. and then you can sell the property with no capital gains or under the capital gains exclusion, you're exempt up to whatever it is for single or married. It's a lot of money. You won't basically- 500K. Yeah. 500K married, 250K single. That's also prorated. If you move due to like PCS orders, if you live somewhere 18 months, you can take 18 divided by 24, right? Times that maximum exclusion amount. Disclaimer, I'm not a CPA. (laughs) Go talk to your CPA for tax advice. But yeah, something that's pretty unique to the military and a pretty cool tool. I don't want to get in the weeds too much. That it's just the idea is, hey, you can spend less here's how you can spend less. I would attack your biggest line items first, which is housing and transportation. You can do that in any number of ways. I'm proposing one way, which I wish I would have known about when I did not have a family and I could have done that. Now it's a little less reasonable with a family of six to do something like that. So oh, use yeah. the superpower that you have right now because you have something that you are, you might have knowledge of construction. That's a superpower. You might have yeah. knowledge of some specific industry, or you might have some relative with some specific knowledge that you can leverage them to to learn something and, and kind of propel yourself forward. So just what is your superpower? Think about it. Think about how you can use that to spend less, to earn more, and to invest. And so yeah. that's kind of my overall perspective now and advice to those out there is that you have something that you can use to your advantage. And I know people look at each other and say, well, they did this or they have this background or they make this much money or like for your situation, you're, you're married, you both have an income and you have no kids. So that's not fair. You, you know, you can leverage things way better than I can. I just can't save as much as you. And sure, maybe that's true, but there's other advantages that I have because I'm married and have kids. I get a tax write-off for each one of my kids. Like I can pay each one of my kids. And by the way, I can have them as an employee and set up a retirement account for them. And I can put them in a Roth IRA at seven years old and have it grow for 53 years tax free. Mm -hmm. I mean, do the compound interest math on that. Incredible wealth building. So you think about all these advantages and you have something that you can use to your advantage. And I would just ask that people think about that and leverage that. And don't just point to other folks and say, they have this advantage or that advantage. Like, nope, you have something that you uniquely can utilize to get yourself ahead. So think about that and continue pointing back to your why, why you're doing it, why you want to build wealth. And I think you'll end up in a really good place. I love that. I love that advice to use your superpower. I think that's the, that I read, I'm reading a book recently. What was it called? Dan Sullivan's, it wasn't 10X is easier than 2X. It was, it was the other one he just wrote. Anyways. But he he talks about your unique ability, and I think he trademarked that. So don't sue me saying Dan Sullivan. But he talks about as an entrepreneur, you need to use your unique ability and delegate everything else, right? And it's kind of that same same thing. It's what is your superpower? Like what what advantages do you have? What can you do? And and go do that. I, I think for myself, like 
I was in an apartment in Cheyenne, Wyoming, apart from my girlfriend at the time, not wife. I had a lot of time on my hands and a deep interest in personal finance and entrepreneurship. But those two things collided and I created a financial planning firm with, with the, you know, and I did my CFP, got my MBA, did all that because I had the time and the, and the interest to, to go do that. For others, it, it's real estate investing. They're, again, single. They'll buy a place. They don't mind having roommates. When you have a wife and kids, you probably won't be house hacking <laughs> in duplexes or, or whatever, right? That, that's a unique ability that you have being young and single. So I think that's awesome advice, just using the advantage that you have at the time and stage in your life and go in and do something positive with it. Invest, invest in whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks, whether it's yourself. I think that's the best investment. Reading a lot of books. Uh, reading I'm and a- learning, I would say, is, is the best investment, but only if you then take action. Apply. Because if yep. you, yes, if you just read and learn this information, you don't do anything with it, then it's basically useless, right? It didn't move the needle. It didn't change anything for you. So some books that I recommend, Simple Path to Wealth, I think J.L. Oh, Collins, yeah. Millionaire Great Next book. Door. Millionaire Next Door, which kind of is an interesting book. It dispels a lot of the myths around what you think a millionaire looks like. And really, it's painting the picture that the most common path to get there is just to have multiple streams of income that, you know, you have a a primary job and then you have something else on the side and you have three or four mechanisms that you're earning money and that gets you there much faster, right? Rich dad, poor dad, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you want to understand assets and liabilities, that book, you won't be able to put that book down. Rich dad, poor dad was one of the best reads I had that just drove me into action. And then Set for Life by Scott Trench, I recommended to you, I think, Eric, that is just a phenomenal book that outlines how you can save more, spend less, how you can earn more, and how you can invest to really propel yourself into the wealth building that you're trying to accomplish. And I think he does a great job of that. From a very detached and kind of matter of fact point of view. If if you're into the just the data and the stats, he covers all that stuff. So it's a really good book. Yeah, those uh, are some I, those are awesome. A million real estate investing books, but that's kind of yeah. a, a different path. So those are some great recommendations. I, I think set to life set for life is the only one I haven't read on that list. I've still got it on my on my to do list. So but but books obviously are super important. I think they they have honestly changed my life. I started reading very heavily in 2017 and try to read a book a week at this point, just buying them off Amazon. I like the hard copy. You can also use the Libby app for all those military members out there. That is free eBooks for military members rented from the DOD library, which is pretty cool. So Libby, L-I-B-B-Y, a pretty cool app out there for, for the military community. Well, I think we can start to wrap up. We had a pretty good, pretty good talk. I really enjoy this, Aaron. Is there anything that you think we didn't touch on? that you wanted to say or that folks need to know? No, I mean, I'm happy to be a resource to anyone out there with the company I work with now. You know, we specialize in transitioning out of the military. So I'm happy to discuss that with folks and how to maximize their earning potential as they're getting out. And then also how to navigate kind of career pivots like what I did. Also, just want to say if anyone wants to reach out and talk about real estate or has investing questions, I'd be happy to talk about that stuff as well. But yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me again. And I hope this adds value to your community. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. And how can people find you? What's the best spot? Is it is it LinkedIn? 
Yeah, probably LinkedIn. I think that's the only social I'm really active on, but you can also email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N at preveteran.com. That's P-R-E-veteran.com. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Aaron. Really enjoyed this talk and, and we'll have to do it again sometime soon. All right. Thanks, Eric. See ya. Thanks, Aaron. And thanks for listening to the Bluff Finance Podcast. I really appreciate you being here. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, I would really appreciate rating and reviewing. It really helps this podcast be shown to more people, helps the algorithms bring this to the top when people are looking for military finance tips. So thank you so much for being here and we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you.